we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at Awaken. Blessed to be able to bring this word this morning as we continue with week five of our Masterpiece in Progress series. We're now officially into the second half of our eight-week uh, journey through this series, through the book of Ephesians, which also means that we're now in the second half. We're locked into the second half of Paul's letter. And in case you weren't here with us last week, I, I described how Paul, he really makes this shift in the second half of his letter, where he goes from speaking about who we are, our identity in Christ, to what we are to do in light of that identity. Okay, so he shifts from who we are to what we do. Or to use the language that we like to use here at Awaken, he starts to make the spiritual really practical for us. And so we saw last week how he, how he did that, right? He compared our journey of faith, right, our lives as, as believers, to a walk, right? And he, he did that to show us that these simple steps we take, they have an eternal impact. When we're humble, when we're patient, when we're gentle, when we're loving, that those things have an eternal impact, and today, as we look to the second half of chapter four, Paul's actually going to use another part of our daily routine as a metaphor through which to teach and to guide us. And he's actually going to do that by pointing us to the way that we dress, okay, to the way that we dress, like the clothes that we wear. Because just like we reflect Jesus in how we walk, we also represent him in what we wear. And I want to help you understand this on a little bit deeper level. And so I want you to actually think of this through the, the idea and the concept of dress codes, Okay, dress codes. Now, I grew up going to Christian school, and so the words dress code have a really like negative connotation in my mind, right? They make me think of these like starch polos, the khaki pants, right? <laughs> Not my best days, but hey, I wanted you to get an image of what this looked like. Honestly, I think of dress codes, and I start to get like a little, a little itchy. But the reality is that, that dress codes, they serve an important purpose, whether I liked it or not. They actually serve a couple of important purposes. See, dress codes, they set an expectation, right? They set a standard. And they also serve as an identifier, right? So if you saw me going to school in my khaki pants and my starch polo, well, you knew that I was probably going to school, right? It's the same thing in our everyday lives. We maybe don't notice it, okay? So let me show you a few examples, right? Starting with the one we looked at last week, right? Our military, they wear uniforms. And these uniforms, they communicate a certain standard, don't they? And on those uniforms, there, there are ways to identify like what branch that soldier belongs to, what regiment they belong to. And so when you look at them, it, it communicates a lot about who they are and what they do. Are y'all following with me this morning? Same thing when this, this guy shows up to your door, right? That bright vest, it tells you who he is, right? If he knocks on your door, you know who he, who he is, what he's there to do. I got one more for you. The white doctor's coat. Right? It communicates a certain level of authority when it comes to health and medicine, right? And, and as much as we love and as, as critical as nurses and other medical professionals are, when you see this person walking in the door, you know that they've met a certain standard. You have a pretty good idea of what they're there to do. What I'm trying to get at is that each of these roles, they're made clear by the way that people dress, right? It's not hard to identify their purpose, well, Paul is going to tell us today that the same should be true of us as followers of Christ. That our purpose should be clear to those around us when they see the way that we live. So why he's going to encourage us to take off and to set aside our old clothes and to put on our, our new clothes, the, the new identity that we've been given. Right, so that, that the purpose that we, that we used to have, the things that we used to do, we can cast those aside and live in a way that identifies us as followers of Jesus. 
right? That we would live in a way that boldly proclaims, just like these uniforms do, who we are and what we do. So the question I want you to think on this morning is simple. Which clothes are you wearing? Which clothes are you wearing? Is your life an expression of the identity that you've received in Jesus? Or are you still wearing those old clothes? Still doing those things you used to do? Still living with the mindset you used to have? My prayer for each of you today is that no matter how you walked in this morning, that you would walk out those doors this morning confident and rocking some new threads. I'm excited about what God's going to do here today as he teaches us through his word. But let's just pause for a moment. Ask him to guide us. Do you join me? Father, we are so grateful. We're grateful to be gathered here together this morning. Grateful for the opportunity to learn from your word. Lord, I pray that you just simply use it to reveal to us more of your truth. Reveal to us more of who you've created us to be. Would you give us courage to walk in the newness of this identity that we've received because of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his holy name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, if you brought your Bibles or Bible apps, I encourage you to get those out. Turn with me, if you would, to the second half of Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17 this morning, but as you find your place there, let me just give you a really quick refresher on the context that Paul is writing to. Okay, we talked about this in week one, that Paul, he's not writing this to us 2,000 years later. He's writing this to these churches in this city of Ephesus. Okay, this is 2,000 years ago, so we got to go back a little bit and understand that culture because he's going to speak directly to that culture in this portion of his letter today. Okay, so just a quick refresher. This city called Ephesus, it was in the Roman Empire, and it was sort of smack dab in the middle of the Roman Empire. It's on the west coast of what is now Turkey, but it was really, be, it's the central point because anything that was going from the east to the west, right, any trade that was going east to west or, or west to east, it had to go through Ephesus, okay? And what that meant is that Ephesus was incredibly important. It's a huge city, one of the largest in that day, and that made it incredibly influential as well, but it also made it incredibly, incredibly worldly, Y'all, this place, it was, it was wild. I've been reading through commentaries these last few weeks, and honestly, like, there's been a few times where I just felt like I needed to take a shower. Like, there was all kinds of craziness going on there, all kinds of debauchery. And so in the middle of all of this wickedness stood the church, right? This group of faithful followers of Jesus that Paul is writing to. Faithful followers of Jesus who, might I add, used to swim in that pool of wickedness that I was just telling you about. Faithful followers of Jesus who still went to the same places, still walked by those same places where they used to, you know, get drunk and engage in, in debauchery. Who still ran into those friends that they used to party with and do all kinds of crazy things with. So these believers, they were still literally surrounded with the temptations to go back to their old way of life. To fall back into those old habits and to put on those old clothes. That's why Paul writes to remind them that their old way of living was now in the past. It was behind them. And he says this, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what Paul is doing here is he is shining a bright spotlight on the wickedness of the way that these believers used to live. The wickedness that still surrounded them in this city of Ephesus. 
He wants them to see the stark difference between how they used to live and how they were now called to live in Christ. Or to use the language that we use here in our vision statement at Awaken. He wanted them to wake up to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. To wake up to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And I think the reason why he does this is actually pretty simple. I think it's because when we're reminded of who we once were, of the sin that we used to live in, we're, we're able to go back and to remember how that felt. See, I'm not sure how it is for, for some of you, but, but sometimes when I think about like uh, when I was a, a, a teenager in high school or when I was in college, I could tend to see that through rose-colored glasses, right? Think of those as the, as the glory days. But when I look back at pictures, I can see and remember the emptiness. I can see and I can remember what that felt like to, to search for fulfillment in all the wrong places and never to find it. I can remember that feeling of, of lostness. I think sometimes we just need to be brought back to that place. But not just so that we can see how far we've come, but so that we can remember how it felt. So that we don't slide back into those old ways. So that's the warning that Paul is giving to those who have already turned away from sin. But I don't want to shy away from the fact that some of you are here this morning and you might still be living in that sin. You might still be, be, be asleep to the effect of sin in your life. And part of that reason is because your sin has become a lot like the clothes that you just sort of mindlessly pull out of your closet and put on every day. Right, so it's kind of like you go to your metaphorical closet and you're just like, well, I, I don't know, I guess I'll just, just pick this. That, that feels good. Right, or there's this, this part of my life, this part of me that I just want to cover up and I, I think this will do the job. So you go and you get drunk again. So you go and you find that thing or that person that will maybe take the pain away a little bit. All the while not realizing what you're just mindlessly putting on. It's ruining your life. I think that's exactly why Paul speaks to futility here. Because no matter what kind of sin you are living in or were living in, what that leads us to is this, this lack of, of purpose. When we aimlessly just sort of wander through life, chasing after all these things that didn't matter or that still don't matter. And so what Paul is saying here to these Christians is, hey, quit your wandering because your life should look and it should feel different because you've been given a purpose in Christ. Right? You are no longer purposeless. Stop putting on those old clothes. You have a purpose. He also says you're no longer in the dark. I love this idea of darkness. I want to just see by, by a quick show of hands, if you would humor me, how many of you have night vision? Nobody. Nobody has night vision, right? So what happens when we wander in the, around in the dark then? Well, well, apart from like foolishly just like looking and like, you know, trying to reach and grab at anything you can, what happens when you wander around in the dark is we either get lost or we get hurt. Those are really the only things that can happen, right? Even in my own house, I know generally where things are, but when I wander around in the dark, I either like stub my toe on something or I step barefoot on a loose Lego. And there is nothing worse than stepping barefoot on a loose Lego. I will challenge you on that. But my point is when you wander around in the dark, you're either going to end up somewhere you shouldn't be or you'll run up against something that's going to cause you harm. It's the same way when we're wandering in spiritual darkness. That's why Paul says, don't walk like this anymore. Stop wandering in the darkness. Stop reaching and grasping, searching for fulfillment or satisfaction in things that were never meant to satisfy or to fulfill you. It's because those things that you used to consume, those clothes that you used to put on, 
In the end, those were the things that were consuming you. And this is why Paul points us not just to our, our lack of purpose or our inability to see, but he actually points us also to our inability to feel. It's important that you understand this. He says that this, this regular consumption of sin, it leads to callousness. To callousness. It's a, a lack of, of sensation. It's a, an insensitivity that we build up towards sin. Where we do it so much that we just become accustomed to it. Think of like calloused hands, okay? Like whether you're, you're swinging a hammer, whether you're playing guitar, whatever it is, when you do those things, so often it builds up a barrier, a shield. It desensitizes you. Family, sin has that same effect, only the callous it builds is around your heart. I'm trying to help you see this cycle of sin that you were or that maybe you are stuck in. When you search for, for fulfillment, when you search for purpose, but you're searching in the dark, all you're doing is chasing after the wrong things. And those wrong things, all they're doing is they're desensitizing you to your sin. And that cycle will just continue and continue over and over again until it destroys you. We can't shy away from the effect of sin in our lives. Some of you are still feeling these effects. And if that's you, let me tell you, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. There's a better way. Because Jesus didn't just come to forgive you of those sins. He came to set you free from those sins. So there's good news for you today. And the good news is you no longer have to put on those old ratty clothes. You've been given new clothes. That's why Paul says this is the way that you once walked. That these are the things that were true of you. The clothes that you used to wear. The good news of the gospel says, hey, those old clothes, you can get rid of them. You can throw them away. They are no longer needed. They no longer even fit you. That's the truth that Paul points us to in verses 20 through 24. When he says, that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Now I want you to humor me for a second, okay? I want you to do a little, little mental picture in your head, okay? Pretend like you're at home and you're going through your dresser drawers, like your literal dresser drawers, you're going through your clothes. My guess is that each one of you has at least a couple of items that have seen some better days, Right? Are we, are we all on the same page here? Some, some faded clothes, some of them that might have a little, smell a little funky, might have a couple holes in them. Yeah, I know we've all got them. It's okay. You don't have to raise your hand or anything. Those clothes are the clothes that like nobody else would ever want. Like if you were to donate them to the thrift store, they would just be like hard pass and throw it in the trash pile. Okay? I'm sure you all have that in your mind now. So why do we keep those clothes? Why do we do that? I'll give you a couple reasons why. The first reason why we keep clothes like that is because they're comfortable, right? There's something about them that's just soothing to us. They just feel good. Second reason why is because there's probably some memories that are connected to them, right? Maybe they, you wore them back, you know, when you met your spouse or, or back in those glory days in college. Something about them, there's just a, a nostalgia to them, right? And so either this level of nostalgia or this level of comfort, right, that's what leads you to kind of push back when your spouse or when your parent tries to get you to, to get rid of them, right? Well, the reality is that's not just our tendency when it comes to our clothes. That's our tendency when it comes to our life. To cling to our old way of living. 
rather to embrace the, the change that comes with this new identity that we've received. I think it's what Paul is shining a light on by using this illustration of clothing. It's the tendency we have to put on our old clothes, our old way of life, because it's comfortable, because it's predictable, and we don't have to change. Now go back to that mental picture of that dresser drawer. Only this time, instead of looking for clothes, I want you to think about what old and comfortable sins are still in that dresser drawer. What are those things that you're still going back to? Because they're comfortable. Because they make you feel good. Because they remind you of how things used to be. I'm serious. Like, think about it for a second. All right, dig around in those drawers. You got to look because... Those clothes that, that used to identify you, those clothes that, that used to bring you comfort, those things that you used to chase after, they're no longer needed. Right? Because your comfort and your identity is now found in Christ. So throw those old clothes away. Get rid of them so that you're no, no, no longer even tempted to even try these things on. Family, you got to go through this process. You got to do a little spring cleaning in your heart. Otherwise, those sins, they will just sit there and they will fester and they will stink. They become more and more evident in your life. But let's talk about what this looks like. Like, how do we actually go about doing this? I actually think this clothing metaphor really points us to a couple of shifts we can make. And that first shift is to shift your style. I'm not talking about your style. Y'all look pretty good this morning. I'm talking about your lifestyle. Okay, see this idea of taking off old clothes, it doesn't just mean that you need to change the way you do a few things. It doesn't just mean that you need to work on that one sin area of your life. It means you need to change the way you approach your entire life. That you will no longer do things just because that's the way that your parents did them. Just because that's the way that you've always done them or your friends do them or because that's the way that culture does them. What that means is that you'll shift your lifestyle so that you'll do things and reflect the way that Jesus did it. So shifting your style, shifting your lifestyle, it might mean less hurry and more rest. For some of you, it might mean less intensity and just more intentionality. Maybe it means worrying less about your possessions and working more towards your purpose. Whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to lead you to looking more and more like the masterpiece that God created you to be if you would just shift your lifestyle. So that's the first shift. The second shift is to shift your perspective. In other words, when you look in the mirror that you would see the right reflection. I'm not talking about who your past says you are or who the world says you are. I'm talking about when you look in the mirror that you would see who God says you are. Because family, what you think about yourself and those words you tell yourself, they matter. They matter so much. What you see when you look in the mirror beyond your outward appearance, what you actually see, it matters. When I think of the story of David and Goliath, you see one guy in all of Israel that actually saw himself with the right reflection. And it's not that he looked in the mirror and he saw this, this, this perfect physical specimen or that he was like the wisest or holiest man in all of Israel. No, what he saw was the simply the right reflection. That he saw his God-given identity. So it didn't matter what anyone else said. David knew what he had to do because he knew who he was. And family, the reality is that most of us are in a desperate need of a shift in perspective. We need to be reminded daily that we were created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and in true holiness. Because my guess is 
That's not what you're seeing every morning when you look in the mirror. Those aren't the words that you're telling yourself. Those aren't the things that you're reminding yourself of. My guess is you're reminding yourself of something that happened to you in the past, of something that used to be true. You're not who you are now. We need to be reminded, family, that even when we are at our worst, that God still sees us as his best. I think that's a word for somebody this morning. You may be here this morning feeling like you are at your worst, but God still sees you as his best. He still sees you as his masterpiece. Family, we need to be reminded that even when life feels hopeless, that we have hope in Christ. We have hope in Christ who came, not, didn't just, just die and forgive us of our sins, but who came so that we might have life and have it to the full. So we need to shift our perspective and start seeing ourselves as God sees us. We need to be reminded daily of the new clothes, this identity that he has dressed us with. Okay, now you'll remember I talked about Paul getting real practical here in the second half of this letter. And especially in this part we're going to get to, he's going to get very, very practical. Okay, so he's going to do really what I think is more of like a wardrobe makeover. He's going to tell us some things that we need to take off. and He's going to tell us some things that we need to put on. And this points us to how we engage in life together centered around Jesus. You guys probably know that's the second part of our vision statement here. And he starts by talking about taking off falsehood and putting on truth. It's the first thing he tells us. He said, take off falsehood, put on truth. In other words, stop lying to others and stop lying to yourself. Right? Be honest about who you really are. You know, one of our core values here at Awaken is that we go deep and get real. Chances are, if you've been here for more than a couple of weeks, you've heard that. We've heard that in our life groups. And as great of a value as that is, the reality is that it has to be built on a foundation of honesty and authenticity. The challenge is that while church should be the easiest place in the world to be ourselves, for most of us, it's the hardest. For most of us, it's the hardest place for us to be ourselves. I'll tell you why. It's not because of the people around us. You may think it is. The reason why the church is the hardest place for us to be ourselves is because we make it about us. It's because we make it about us. I know some of you are thinking, no, Pastor Ryan, I'm, I'm here to worship Jesus. Are you really? Because if you were here to worship Jesus, then you wouldn't just put on a happy face when you walk through those doors, even though t life is hard. You wouldn't build up a, a facade so that people can't see who you are. No, you would be willing and eager to share of your struggle so Jesus will get the glory. This is important, family. Because what happens when we try to cover ourselves up, when we try to paint a pretty picture so that nobody else will really know what's going on in our lives, is we're putting ourselves in the position to get all the glory. So let me ask you, who are you really here to worship? Paul is saying we've got to set aside that temptation to put on falsehood, and we need to put on truth. Because the reality is that church is supposed to be a place, a community of screwed up people. That's who we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to have it all together. We're just supposed to depend on and to declare the grace of the one who came and died so that we could be set free. That's it. Listen, I know there are a number of you who are new to this church family or new-ish. Let me just say that this is the type of church that we desire to be. None of us are doing it perfectly, but this is the kind of church we desire to be. This room is filled with people who used to walk in darkness. There are testimonies you would not believe but this is a room that is now filled by the grace of God with people who are walking in the light. 
So if you are walking in darkness, we've been there. We're willing to share those struggles with you, to walk in those struggles with you so that you also can receive that light. And the way we do that, begin doing that, is by taking off falsehood, putting on truth. Next, Paul says, take off anger and put on self-control. Take off anger, put on self-control. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, don't allow anger to take root in your heart. Because the reality is, if anger takes root in your heart, the fruit of that is always going to be evil. It's always going to be sinful. So what he's saying is simple. He's saying, hey, if you're angry, take quick action. Christ-like action, but quick action. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, be ready to forgive. Don't let that sun go down on your anger. Next, he says, take off stealing and put on generosity. Take off stealing and put on generosity. Now, this type of stealing he's talking about is not just shoplifting. Right? You can be stealing in a number of ways. Think about this for just a second. For those of you who have a job, whether you work from home, whether you work in an office, those days when you check out a little bit early, you're stealing from your employer. Those school projects, those work assignments, when you take more credit than you deserve, you're stealing from your peers. Those of you who, who aren't giving to the Lord's work through the church or through some other place, you're stealing from the Lord. I know I went there. The reality is, you look at statistics around the country, the average church, 20% of the congregation is giving. 20%. That means 80% are just sort of along for the ride. There's more than one way to steal. That's why Paul, he uses this word thief here. And I think it's intentional because those who put themselves in the center at the expense of other people, they're stealing. So Paul says, hey, take that off. That's not who you are anymore. He says, work hard. Be honest. Seek to, to serve others with your time and with your talent and with your treasure. That's what true generosity is. It's not counting on 20% on of the church to support the Lord's work. It's doing your part with what you've been given. Right? It's putting Jesus in the center of your life and choosing to serve and to love others well. So take off stealing, put on generosity. Next, he says, take off corrupting talk and put on encouragement. Take off corrupting talk, put on encouragement. Only let your speech be used to, to build others up, to bless them with grace-filled words rather than words with, that are laced with sarcasm or, or with this judgmental spirit. And again, I think this is more than just ridding our vocabulary of profanity or, or ridding our relationship of insults. Those are important things to do, don't get me wrong. Because your words can easily tear others down, but, but don't miss the fact that they can also build others up. So putting on encouragement, it means that we view every conversation as an opportunity. We view every conversation as an opportunity to either reveal or to remind someone of their true identity. Every conversation. I mean, imagine the difference if I were to come up to you after church this morning, and rather than giving you a bad time about a bad haircut, if I were to, to remind you that God loves you, he's pleased with you. Imagine the difference that could make. Now think about every other conversation you're going to have today. Your friend, your spouse, with a coworker, with a barista. Imagine if you took every conversation as an opportunity to encourage and build others up, to reveal to them or to remind them of their true identity. Imagine, just imagine what Jesus would do. Imagine the impact we could have if we set aside the corrupting talk and put on encouragement. 
Lastly, if you've been following along in Ephesians chapter 4, you'll see Paul kind of just throws everything else in together. He essentially says, take off all other wickedness and put on forgiveness. I think what he's saying is, hey, hey, listen, your anger, it might be justified. Right? Those, those things that you want to say about somebody, they may very well be true. But forgive them anyways, because Christ forgave you. Forgive them because Christ left his throne to come and die so that you might be set free. So who are you then to withhold forgiveness? See, I think there are some of you here this morning, and maybe you're not putting on old clothes. Maybe you're putting on the inmate's jumpsuit. You know the one I'm talking about. It's the, the bright orange, ugly ones. Maybe you've shackled yourself in the prison of unforgiveness. I'm not trying to minimize what's been done to you or what's been said to you. What I'm trying to say is that when you choose not to forgive, the only one you're really punishing is yourself. If that's you this morning, let me just remind you that you have been forgiven. Let me just remind you that you have been forgiven of everything that you have ever done. And you haven't just been pardoned, you haven't just been put on parole. God has completely wiped that slate clean. And now because his spirit lives inside of you, you have the ability to forgive others. No matter what they've said, no matter what they've done, because Christ also forgave you. That leads me to my final point as I invite the band back up this morning. It coincides with the third step of our vision. We would go out so that the world would know the hope of Jesus. See, all these encouragements that Paul just gave us, all these things that we're supposed to, to take off and to, and to put on, they all have something in common. Right? They all describe how we engage with others, how they point us to the, the, the importance of living authentic lives that imitate the heart of our Father. That's why he instructs us at the beginning of chapter 5 to be imitators of God as dearly loved children, walking in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Paul says, be imitators. And this word that he uses, the, the Greek word there for imitator, it's where we get our, our, our word mimic from. And so he's saying, hey, when you do these things, when you take off those old clothes, when you put on the new ones, you are literally mimicking God. It's a cool idea, right? Only there's a problem. See, we in our sin, we've, we've sort of found a loophole. And we've discovered the fact that there's, there's more than one way to imitate something. If you've ever bought a, a cheap imitation of an expensive product, then you probably know what I'm talking about. See, I grew up in Southern California, and, and we were only a couple miles, or a couple hours, excuse me, from Mexico. And one of my favorite things to do is my dad would take us down, and, and uh, just over the border is this, this city called Tijuana, and you can find cheap imitations of just about anything. I'm talking shoes, purses, watches, sunglasses, whatever you want, you can find it there. And I remember I used to love going down there and me and my brother, we would always bring, you know, five bucks, our allowance or whatever, and we'd buy these really awesome pair of Oakleys. <laughs> Thought we looked so cool until a couple days later when they broke or the Oakley logo fell off or whatever happened. What I'm trying to get at is the fact that we have a choice to make when we imitate God. Like we can earnestly and intentionally seek to become more and more like Him. Or we can choose the path of deception. Or we just try to get other people to, to think that we're the real deal. Paul is saying here is that our desire should not be to be a, a cheap knockoff. That our desire should be to follow the example of Jesus. To 
to live the authentic kind of lives that stand out from the world around us. See, when I think about the way that the world views Christians, when I think about the, the rise in intensity and resistance towards us as followers of Jesus, I honestly don't think it's Jesus that people have a problem with. I think it's our cheap imitation of him. I think it's our cheap imitation of him. Family, it's time we set aside our old ways. It's time we start living as authentic imitations of God. This is why our identity is so important and why Paul even goes back to it right here when he says that we are dearly loved children. He says we are dearly loved children. This is who you already are. So mimicking God, you don't do that to become one of his children. You do it because you already are. You've already been blessed with that identity. You've already been made in his image. You've already been dressed in his righteousness. So now just live like you know that to be true. Family, this list that we've been given, taking off falsehood and putting on truth, taking off anger, putting on self-control, taking off stealing, putting on generosity. The truth is that none of these are possible unless you see yourself for who you really are. You are a beloved child of God. You are a citizen with the saints in heaven. You have been forgiven and set free by the blood of Jesus. You've been clothed in his righteousness and grace. So beloved child of God, start living like it. Start living like it. Start seeing yourself that way. Shift your lifestyle. Shift your perspective. Receive this identity. Because those old clothes, they don't fit you anymore. You don't need them anymore. Cast them off, set them aside, and walk in the newness and the fullness of life that Jesus came to give you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you, each of you, a chance to respond to this good news this morning. I believe that there are some of you here today who have been stuck in that cycle of sin that we talked about. You've been wandering mindlessly through life, searching for comfort, searching for fulfillment, for identity, and anything that you can grab a hold of. If that's you this morning, I want you to know that your search is over. Your search is over because Jesus is here and he is in front of you. He's the only one who can provide what you truly need. So if you're ready to take off those old clothes, if you're ready to put on the new ones, that identity that you have received in Jesus, to receive his grace, if you're ready to receive the life that he came to give you, I want you to respond right now simply by raising your hand right where you're at. you're ready to receive that identity, to believe that you are a beloved child of God, go ahead and just lift your hand if you haven't already. Praise God. Praise God. For the rest of you, those of you who have already put your trust in Jesus, let me give you a chance right now to respond as well. Rather than having you stand and sing, I want to encourage each of you, would you just sit and rest? Would you rest in this unbelievable truth that the God of the universe, the one who knows all, the one who, who sees all, that he calls you his beloved child. He knows everything you've done. He has seen everything you've done. And still, you are his masterpiece. Would you rest in the truth that you are not who the world says you are? You're not the things you've done or what's been done to you. You are simply his. 
Would you rest in that truth this morning, that you are a beloved child of God?